Okay, we are going to start in 1 Samuel chapter 19. This is where we left off last time. 1 Samuel chapter 19. We're going to be looking at a lot of different scriptures today. So if you want to follow along in the scriptures, you can. If you can't keep up, that's fine too. I'll read them out. Um, so let, let's start reading in verse 11. 1 Samuel chapter 19, verse 11. Then Saul sent messengers to David's house to watch him in order to put him to death in the morning. But Michal, David's wife, told them, saying, If you do not save your life tonight, tomorrow you will be put to death. So Michal let David down through a window, and he went out and fled and escaped. Michal took the household idol and laid it on the bed and put a quilt of goat's hair at its head and covered it with clothes. When Saul sent messengers to take David, she said, He is sick. Then Saul sent messengers to see David. Bring him up to me on this bed that I may put him to death. And when the messengers entered, behold, the household idol was on the bed with a quilt of goat's hair at its head. So Saul said to Michal, Why have you deceived me like this and let my enemies go so that he has escaped? And Michal said to Saul, he said to me, let me go, why should I put you to death? So, we had spoken a little bit about this last time. We had had already covered uh, this household idol being there, which is really quite amazing that David's wife had a a, a full-size idol in the house. And we we talked a little bit about that last time. But what I want to focus in on today is I want to ask a couple of questions and see what the Word of God says. Has for us, and I'm not saying that you have to agree with what I'm putting forth. You don't have to, and I and you don't have to agree with anything. All all I want you to do is look at the Word of God and see what it says, and then take that and within the context of the Scriptures, you you look at different interpretations and, and come to what what you'd like to come up with. But we have to, in that, always do justice to what the Word of God says. So, for example, one might say, well. Um, I believe it's okay to do such and such. Well, okay, that's okay for you to believe that, but that may not be what the Word of God says. So if we're to do justice to what the Scriptures say, we have to find Scriptures that speak to that, and then balance that off with other Scriptures. So I'm gonna, we're going to look at two particular questions today. And the first one is, is it acceptable in certain situations to tell a lie? If so, what are those situations? Now, I have never heard a message on this before. So I'm, I'm running, this is just totally gym tour. So this is not, I'm not attributing this to anybody else. So if you don't like this, this is because it's me. So don't get upset with anybody else. Don't get upset with the church or with the pastor. This is me. All right? Is it acceptable in certain situations to tell a lie? And if so, what are those situations? And the second question is, is it acceptable in certain situations to disobey governing authorities? And if so, what are those situations? Is it acceptable to disobey governing authorities? So we just read how McCall told a lie. David was going to be killed by Saul the next day, it says. And so McCall says to David, you better get on out of here. Or, you you know, you're not going to be alive tomorrow. And so she lets David out through the window. And he runs away. And McCall's father was King Saul. And King Saul says, why did you let David go? Why did you let my enemies go? He's saying this to his own daughter. And, and she says to him, he said to me, let me go. Why should I put you to death? So she claims that he threatened to kill her 
if she didn't let him go, as if she was trying to keep him there so that his servants could kill David. And he threatened her, so she, she had to uh, let him go. That's what she said. So that, within the context of what we have, that appears much like a lie. And, and um, <clears throat> Saul doesn't kill her because that's his daughter. And I know having my own daughter. I address students one way. I address my own children another way. Because they're my own children. And, and so this was his own daughter. And, you know, he wasn't going to mess with his own daughter because she'd, you know, probably really give it to him. So he left, left her alone. So what I want to do is I want to turn to Romans. So Romans is one of the epistles, and it's from the epistles that we get, as Christians, our instruction of how to live. This is where we get our instruction from. And in Romans chapter 13, it addresses some of this topic. In Romans chapter 13, it addresses particularly obedience to civil authority and King Saul was civil authority. He was the king. Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 7, For us as believers, every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and those who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers are not a cause for fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For it is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is a minister of God, an avenger, who brings wrath on those who practice evil. Therefore, it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience' sake. For because of this you also pay taxes for rulers or servants of God, devoting themselves to the very thing. Render to all what is due them, tax to whom tax is due, custom to whom custom is due, fear to whom fear is due, honor to whom honor. So when I generally meet people who don't want to obey the law, it generally comes in the context of their not wanting to pay tax. That is generally the excuses that people will make. I don't have to obey this. I don't want to report this on my income tax because I don't want to be paying taxes. And they will justify themselves that, you know, for one reason or another. And that is a direct violation of what it tells us as believers. We should pay our taxes. And I think taxes are too high. I really do. Nonetheless, I pay them. And I tell my accountant, I say, if there's anything on here that you see that, we may, that, that I may have gone too far, that I may have uh, 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 overstepped my bounds, I want to make sure that we err on the side of giving too much rather than too little. I really want to be careful of this. Why? Because the Word of God instructs me to pay my taxes, and it says for conscience' sake too. Because I know if I pay my taxes, my conscience will be clear, and I will be right with God. And the Bible says that, talks about a clear conscience. It says when we don't have a clear conscience, it's a great inhibition in our relationship with God. So there's this clear commandment. In the Ten Commandments, which we are no longer under, we are under something much higher. The bar has been raised on us over the Ten Commandments. Only one of the Ten Commandments is not expressed in the New Testament, and that's the Sabbath day. And so we've said this before. If you say, I obey all of the Ten Commandments, then you should not work from sundown Friday till sundown Saturday. 
That is the Sabbath day. It is not Sunday, never has been, never will be. You ask a Jew, when is the Sabbath? It is Friday sundown to Saturday sundown. If you are disobeying the Sabbath day, you are not obeying the Ten Commandments. And the Bible says, if you disobey one of those commandments, there's 613 commandments of Moses. If you disobey one, you've disobeyed them all. So, we are under another set of commandments in the New Testament. That is very clear. But one of those commandments of the Ten Commandments says, Do not bear false witness against your neighbor. So do not lie so as to hurt your neighbor. So there was a commandment there that they were under. But Michal wasn't lying to hurt her neighbor. She was lying to protect a human life. Now, is it okay then to lie to protect a human life? Is it okay? We have the same commandment against lying in the New Testament. Colossians is another epistle. And it says, do not lie to one another. So we are instructed in the New Testament not to lie. It says, do not lie one to another. Now, does telling a lie exclude us from the kingdom of God? If we are believers and if we've received Jesus Christ, if we tell a lie, are we now somehow excluded from the kingdom of God? And the answer is no, we are not. It is not something that we are supposed to do, but it's not like if we do this that we never get to heaven anymore. Turn to uh, uh, Titus. Titus is just a few pages before the book of Hebrews. It's a very short book. Just before the book of Hebrews is, is, is Philemon, just before that, Titus. And in Titus, chapter 1, verse 12, you talk about being politically correct. Many students feel that I'm not very politically correct. I'm trying hard to be. So if, if I don't show that I am, just I want you to know that I'm, I'm really trying to be. So within, in my own heart, in my own mind, I'm very, very politically incorrect. Okay, but what comes out is a little politically incorrect. Here is Paul. Talk about being politically incorrect this day. This is what Paul says in Titus. He's writing to, to Titus instruction in the church. And in Titus chapter 1, verse 12, it says, One of themselves, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are liars, evil beasts. I'm sorry, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. For this reason, reprove them severely so that they may be, they may be sound in the faith. Okay, so Paul says... It is said that Cretans, this is, means people from Crete. This is like calling out a people group. This is like saying uh, uh, Californians or New Yorkers. This is calling out a people group within their community. And he says, it is said of Cretans that they're liars. He says, actually, this testimony is true, Paul says. He says, this testimony is true. It says, Cretans are always liars. Now, not that all Christians are liars, but they probably had a habit of lying. Some cultures lie more than others. There are some, some occupations where they lie more. You, you want to see an occupation where not everyone lies, but there is more lying. And this is in, in, in uh, uh, contracting. So, yes, we will finish constructing your house on such and such a date. When they know full well they will never get done with that date. So when I deal with contractors, when I say, okay, this is the date when you'll be done by, I'm going to give you an extra two weeks. However, if you go beyond that two weeks, we start deducting $200 a day from the job. So you have that grace because you told me you can get done that, and so we put that in the contract. And they always get done with my work on time because they have a tendency to string this thing out. <clears throat> Paul calls out a group here. 
He doesn't say, because they're always liars, they're going to hell and never getting saved. He says, no, just correct them. He says, for this reason, reprove them severely so they, they may be sound in faith. So telling a lie doesn't exclude us from the kingdom of God, but it causes us to be less sound in our faith. It's a poor witness. It's poor demonstration. Some people tell one little lie and it just sears their conscience and that's a good thing. Some people tell a big lie and it doesn't bother them at all. And it ought to. So he's saying the, Christ, the Christians ought to be bothered by this. Okay, so, so let's turn back to, to the book of 1 Samuel. In 1 Samuel, let's turn back to 1 Samuel chapter 16. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, which we had covered previously, Samuel is praying a lot for Saul, and God speaks to Samuel and tells him to do something. Remember, Samuel now is a prophet. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go, and I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have selected a king for myself among his sons. But Samuel said, how can I go? When Saul hears of it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to, the sacri- I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Okay, so God tells Samuel the prophet, go and anoint another king in place of Saul. And Samuel says, if I go, Saul is going to kill me. So again, human life, imminent death to human life. If I go, if I do this, Saul is going to kill me. And he has to pass through Gibeah of Saul to get to Bethlehem. And he says, just say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Just say you're making a sacrifice. You don't have to go around blabbing out that you are, you're going to anoint another king. Just say you're going to have a sacrifice. So to not tell everything is not a lie. He says, just... Say you're having a sacrifice. God told him. He said, well, a good prophet should confess and tell everything. Just blab it out. Well, I'm going to anoint another king and I hope you don't kill me. No. He says, just say I'm going to have a sacrifice. There is wisdom. When you're dealing with imminent human life, could there be another way? I want you to look to Exodus chapter 1. This very famous passage of the Jewish midwives. The midwives, the ones who deliver Jewish babies. The ones that delivered the babies uh, uh, for the children of Israel. They were under the command of the Egyptian government. The Egyptian government was the ruling authority at this time. And in Exodus chapter 1, because the, 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 the Jews were slaves in the land of Egypt, in Exodus, you have Genesis and then Exodus, Exodus chapter 1, verse 15, it says, Then the king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives. One of them was Shephira, and the other was named Puah, and said to them, When you are helping the Hebrew women to give birth, and see them upon the birth stool, if it is a son, then you shall put him to death. But if it is a daughter, then he shall live. Okay, so the instruction from the king, from the king's mouth to the Jewish midwives was, kill the baby boys. If it's a boy, kill them. If it's a girl, you can let them live, because he was afraid, because the Jews were multiplying too rapidly. Verse 17, But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt had commanded them, but let the boys live. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this thing and let the boys live? And the midwives said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and they give birth before the midwives can get to them. So God was good to the midwives, and the people multiplied and became very mighty. 
Because the midwives feared God, he established households for them. Isn't that interesting? The midwives lied. They did not base, uh, base civil authority. Why? Because there was imminent human life at hand here. When there's imminent human life, it had nothing to do with paying taxes. This is where generally where people want to lie and not obey government. That is a clear disregard for the Word of God. But in this case, when there is imminent human life, the midwives lied. They said, well, you know, these are tough women. It's not like, you know, these Egyptian women. These, you know, they have, you know, 20 hours of labor. You know, these Jewish women, they just boom, you know, before we even get there. Babies born. And it says, God, because they feared God, God established households for them. God was good to them. Because the midwives feared God, He established households for them. Often midwives are women who have never had any children, or women who have not been married. But it says, He established households for them. God blessed them so much. So might it be okay to lie in certain situations? You be the judge. Look at what the Word of God says. It seems that in the cases of human life, so you are in, uh, you, you, you are in uh, uh, Poland during World War II. Is it okay to harbor a Jew in your home? Or the ruling authority now are the Germans and they say, turn in all Jews. Well, you know, we have to obey the ruling authority. And this is what some people did. And others said, no. No Jews in my house where the attics were full of Jews hiding. Is this okay? Is this okay to do? Turn to Proverbs chapter 24. Proverbs chapter 24. So right after Psalms, you've got Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 24. Verse. Proverbs chapter 24, verse 11. Deliver those who are being... Proverbs 24, 11. Deliver those who are being taken away to death and those who are staggering to slaughter. Oh, hold them back. If you say, see, we did not know this... Does he not consider it who weighs the hearts? Does he not know it who keeps your soul? And will he not render to man according to his work? So you see, it says in verse 11, if you see those who are being led away to death, he says, go and protect them. You have an obligation to protect them. Well, the governing authorities said it's okay to kill them. The governing authorities kill him. He says, go hold them back. You know, some people take this verse, and, and uh, I am very opposed to abortion. Why? Because I believe it is a human life. And I believe God gives life, and only God should take life away. And if we lessen that, we somehow lessen what, what life itself is. And so I'm not, you know, I don't normally go out and protest at abortion clinics, only because I have other banners that I carry, but I'm not opposed to those doing it. You want to stand and protect these? You know, you can't say, well, I don't know anything about it. No, he says, go and protect these. Speak out for them. Stand for them. And so people want to stand and protect these little ones. I'm fine with that. They're taking this word of God and they are doing it literally. Look back in 1 Samuel. There's another incident. It's full of lying in 1 Samuel. And people were lying all over the place. In, in 1 Samuel chapter 21, David goes and he takes some bread that wasn't meant for him. In 1 Samuel chapter 21. So David is fleeing from Saul. Remember, David's just about your age when he's fleeing from Saul. This is, starts ten years of fleeing from Saul. Just about your age. So he's fleeing from King Saul, and he's really hungry. And in his hunger, he goes up to the tabernacle, and he says to the priest, I'm on a special mission from King Saul. 
And uh, he says, I, I, we've been sent on this mission so quickly that I didn't have time to get food. Do you have any food here? He, he says, we have the bread of the presence, the bread that we put before, b- b- before the, the, the altar, which they're supposed to change out every day. And at the end of the day, that bread is meant only for the priests. The common man was not to eat it. Only the priest and his family could eat that bread. But the priest said, we only have that bread. And David said, that'll do. Give it to me. And David took the bread. So he lied. He said he was on a special mission for Saul. He wasn't. David lied. So look in, in, in chapter 21, verse, uh, verse 1. Then David came to Nob to Ahimelech, the priest. And Ahimelech came trembling to David and said to him, why, why are you alone and no one with you? And David said to Ahimelech, the priest, The king has commissioned me with a matter and has said to me, Let no one know about the matter on which I am sending you and which I have commissioned you. And I have directed the young men to a certain place. Now, therefore, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever can be found. And the priest answered David and said, There is no ordinary bread on hand, but there is the consecrated bread. If only the young men have kept themselves from women. David answered and said to the priest, Surely women have been kept from us as previously when I set out when I set out, and the vessels of the young men were holy. Though it was an ordinary journey, how much more then today will their vessels be holy? So the priest gave him consecrated bread, for there was no bread but the bread of the presence, which was removed from before the Lord, in order to put hot bread in its place when it was taken away. Okay, so David lied. Was this wrong to lie? He was starving, and he was running for his life. And he was starving. Well, Jesus made reference to this twice in the Gospels. We'll look at one of them. In Mark chapter 2, Jesus made reference to this. Jesus spoke about this. So what did Jesus think about this whole situation? Now we get a glimpse of what Jesus thinks about the whole thing. In Mark chapter 2, reading from verse 25. And he said to them, Mark 2.25, Have you never read what David did when he was in need? He and his companions became hungry. How he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and he ate the consecrated bread, which is not lawful for anyone to eat except the priests. And he also gave it to those who were with him. Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was not made for man. The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. So the son of man is Lord even of the Sabbath. So Jesus Jesus used that situation of David as an example, saying that the poor guy was starving. It's okay. You know, if people happen to, you, you, you know, open a, a, a grain and, and on the Sabbath day, you can't consider that work. The man is hungry. Let him eat. He uses that as a situation. So he makes reference to that account that we just read of David. He makes no reference to the fact that David lied. He just said David got consecrated bread. No reference to him lying. If Jesus was really, really upset about David lying, you'd have thought, remember when David lied, shame on him. He said nothing of it. And he speaks about this in another one of the Gospels as well. Why? Human life was on the line. Protecting unborn, protecting human life. Is that an opportunity that might be okay to tell a lie? You make the judgment. You make the call. Or do we say, well, yeah, I'm harboring all these Jews. Come on in, come kill them. What do you do? What do you do? None of us have been faced with that particular situation. But what do we do? This is what the Word of God does. God bless the midwives. You make the call based on what the Word of God says. How about civil disobedience 
for something other than imminent human life. Look in John chapter 9. John chapter 9, the Gospel of John chapter 9, verse 22. John 9:22 says, His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone confessed him to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. So in other words, there was a decree by the religious leaders who the Jews were under. Although there was a governing body of Rome, overall, the Rome, Rome gave the Jews some governing authority. And in their governing authority, they said anybody who named Jesus as the Christ was to be thrown out of the synagogue. Okay, well, I guess we can't name Jesus as the Christ because the governing authority has said that, right? But look in, in John chapter 12. Turn over to John chapter 12, verse 42. John chapter 12, verse 42. Nevertheless, many even of the rulers believed in him, but because of the Pharisees, they were not confessing him for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue. So there were many, even of the Pharisees, that were believing on Jesus, but they were afraid to mention it because they'd be thrown out of the synagogue, which wasn't like being thrown out of the church. You get thrown out of this church, you just go down the road, you go to the next church, and the next one, and the next one. No problem. You get thrown out of the synagogue, no social interaction. You're thrown out of your community. Nobody sells to you. Nobody buys from you. Nobody deals with you. It's a big deal. You're, you're, you're ostracized. It's a big deal. They, and, and there was so much around the community, around the life. So God understands, therefore. Well, read the next verse, verse 43. For they love the approval of men rather than the approval of God. Whoa! People who didn't confess Jesus as the Christ, who obeyed the authority not to confess Him as the Christ, what does God say about them? He says, they love the approval of men rather than the approval of God. Is there a time for civil disobedience? It appears so when it comes to saving faith. I name Jesus Christ as my Savior. When it comes to saving faith. Oh, well, the government authority says we can't become believers. No. God's law supersedes that. Are there other times when there's been disobedience? In, in Matthew 27, Matthew chapter 27, it says the Pilate put a seal over the grave, Jesus' tomb, put a seal on it. Nobody was to break that seal. Guess what happened when Jesus came out of the grave? Did he go, I can't rise from the dead. I can't come out because there's a seal and I have to obey the civil authority. What am I going to do? No. The angels just rolled that stone away. Civil authority was violated. When it came to coming out with the things of God, civil authority was violated. Now, I'm not preaching civil disobedience except in selected cases. And that's when you're speaking of your salvation to get saved. Now, thankfully, we in this country don't have a governing body that tells us that we can't get saved. But in many parts of the world, there are such governing bodies that say that. But you get saved. Look in Acts chapter 4. Is there another time to obey civil authority? To to disobey civil authority? Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, verse 18. When they had summoned them, that's that's, uh, Peter and John. When they had summoned them, Acts 4, 18, they commanded them not to speak or to teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge. For we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. 
civil authority told them to stop speaking about Jesus, but they made a decision. We said, we can't. We can't. So it appears as if there is a time to disobey civil authority, and that is in the instance of getting saved and of our testimony. Government says we can't do it. We might want to do it more discreetly. We might want to do it differently. But we are not to refrain from speaking on behalf of Jesus. Thankfully, in this country, we we have no such constraint. But there are many countries where there is that constraint. You know, you, you may work for an employer that says, I don't want you sharing your faith like that with the customers. You need to do that then discreetly. There is a way you do that, and you do it discreetly. You know, I share my faith on campus, sometimes discreetly, sometimes less discreetly, but always within the parameters of my not getting thrown out over it. Look in in Acts chapter 12. In Acts chapter 12. Peter is in prison on Acts chapter 12. He's in jail. He's put in jail by King Herod, who is the Roman ruler in in the land. So he better stay in jail, right? Because the Roman ruler put him there. Acts chapter 12, verse 6. On the very night when Herod was about to bring him forward, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and guards in front of of the door were watching over the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared, and a light shone in the cell, and he struck Peter's side, and he woke him up, saying, Get up quickly, and his chains fell off, and his hands. And the angel said, Gird yourselves, and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap a cloak around you, and follow me. And he went out, and he continued to follow him, and he did not know what was being done by the angel was real, but thought that he was seeing a vision. And when they had passed through the first and second guard, they came to the iron gate that leads into the city, which opened for them by itself. And they went out and went along the street, and immediately the angel departed from him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I know for sure the Lord has set forth his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all the Jewish people who were, who were uh, people, and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. Okay, so the angel came to Peter and says, Get up, I'm taking you out of here. And Peter didn't say, Uh 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 uh, civil authority put me here, just go away, can't do anything. Or once he realizes that he's out of the prison, he comes to himself, he doesn't say, oh, I'm really under arrest. I better go back there. He didn't do that. Did he break civil authority? Yes. He broke the command of civil authority. Why? It says says on the next day in verse 6, he was going to put Peter to death, just as he had put James to death the day before. Imminent human life was in danger. Broke civil authority. And then he goes, where does he go? He goes to the house where everybody's praying for his deliverance, to be delivered from prison. And it says in verse 16, But Peter continued knocking, and when they had opened the door, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hands to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had led him out of the prison. And he said, Report these things to James and the brethren. This is the other James. This is, this is James, the brother of the Lord. In, chapter, in, in the first part of chapter 12, James the apostle was killed. James, the the disciple. Uh, James and the brethren. Then he left and he went to another place. So he comes to the door. Now, they let him in and he says, shh, 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 shh. Why does he say shh? Because he knows they're violating civil authority. You see what I mean? He wouldn't say shh if it was okay for him to be there. And now they are harboring a fugitive from justice. So all of them are now implicated. Shame on them. No, imminent human life 
it is okay, it seems, to protect imminent human life. You take the scriptures and you decide, based on what it says, are there cases where disobedience to governing authorities is okay? And from what I see in the scriptures, you have to see what you see. From what I see is to preserve human life that's immediate. Not that, oh, well, you know, I'm giving my taxes to the government and this government supporting abortion, therefore I want... No, I mean, imminent human life. Imminent human life. When, state, when life is at stake, is it okay to disobey civil authority? It seems so in the scriptures. This is what happened with Peter. How about preaching the gospel? It seems so with Peter and John. They said, we can't stop speaking. I know you have the authority, but I can't stop speaking. Now, they may have changed how they did it. You know, Peter crept around at night and he went, you know, to different places and, and, and he changed the way he did it. Why? Because if he just did open air preaching, I mean, he wouldn't last very long. He was going to do it more discreetly. But he did it. And then accepting the Lord. They were going to be thrown out of the synagogue. You think, okay, well, you understand. God said, No. Because they, 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 uh, they wanted the, the praise of men. They, they feared man more than they feared God. No, when it comes to accepting the Lord, it seems to be quite okay. And then, is it ever okay to tell a lie? Well, there are these instances in the Scripture where God doesn't do anything to people. And in fact, in the case of the midwives, established households for them and praised them for telling a lie, for standing up for what was right when it had to do with immediate human life. Interesting. Interesting ethical questions. People will say, oh, those are situational ethics. You bet it is. Because in the vast majority of situations, you do not lie. We are not to lie. But when it comes to the situation of human life, there seems to be a different pattern in Scripture. Situational ethics when it comes to civil obedience or civil disobedience. When it comes to accepting the Lord. When it comes to preaching. When it comes to the saving of human life. There can be civil disobedience. Some of you may, may be confronted with this. Several of you are, are in med school or going to med school. You may be asked to perform abortions. You have to make a decision. Is that something that you can do? Well, you know, I've been you know, I'm here in school and I've been instructed. Or can you take a stand? You will be hit with certain questions. And you have to be able to come to the Word of God and let the Word of God speak to you. I'm not instructing you what you should do and what you shouldn't do. Let the Word of God instruct you. If you get into this book, I think that you will be just fine. I want you to be in this book. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. How your word speaks to us and shows us real life situations where people were in tremendous turmoil and put under enormous constraints. The midwives being told to kill every male child. Father, I thank you because your word gives us examples of how to act and what to do. I thank you that your word calls us to righteousness. And your word also calls us to higher laws, the laws of God. 
Father, I pray for these young people as they confront different situations in this land or in lands where they'll be sent, in their jobs, in their occupations. Father, that they would stand for the truth and learn to look at your word and walk in it. Father, by your grace and by your mercies, I pray that you would so surround them and give them a heart and a desire to study the word of God, to know your word. Father, I offer this to you. Glorify the Lord Jesus through it, I pray in your name. Amen.